Brawley, I really just love your book so much. Could you just tell us why HT, why you chose this population? You know, it's interesting because for me, I had studied to be a college pastor. That was my goal. I wanted to work in Christian ministry in some form or facet. And I remember going to a conference while I was a college pastor in West Virginia at a historically black college and university. And I'd taken my students up there and we were just learning really about how we can respond to human trafficking. And they were talking about how we all created demand and it just floored me. I had no idea. I had no idea that my purchasing patterns, my viewing patterns, whatever, even if it wasn't that big of a deal, like in my heart at that time, I realized throughout my life, I had contributed to a society that was creating a demand for the exploitation of my neighbor. And at that point, I, I was just, I felt called to repentance. I, I was convicted and, and it wasn't this big, like super theological thing. It was just, I just bowed right where I was. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And right after that, I just, I don't know how to describe it. I just sensed or felt that I was supposed to do something about it. And the first thing I did was run away because I didn't really have the framework for fighting human trafficking. I didn't even know what that meant. I really even didn't know what human trafficking was. And so for me, learning that I may be called to this, I was like, yeah, maybe I just ate something. Maybe, maybe, th- maybe I'm just a little sick. But there was something like in my soul that was churning. There was, there was a uneasiness. And over the next year, everything in my life would be turned upside down. One of my best friends would die of cancer. I'd be in a relationship that would end. And my job was ultimately um, defunded. And so everyone who was working in my position, they lost their jobs at the same time because the organization, the denominational agency that I was working for got rid of collegiate ministry. And so I remember thinking, okay, God, what next? And I just came to a point where I was like, okay, I think I'm called to fight human trafficking. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to move to New York to do it. Because for me, I had trained to be a pastor. I didn't train to be a lawyer. I didn't train to be law enforcement. So what does fighting human trafficking look like? I moved to New York and a week later, I get a call from a friend of mine who is working for an organization that was working with college students in Manhattan. And he said, we're about to do a year-long focus on human trafficking that culminates in a big event. We would love for you to come and volunteer with us. I said, okay, what would that mean? He's like, we want you to mobilize churches since you've had a little bit of experience with that. And I said, now I'm a college pastor. And they're like, well, we're all college pastors. We need someone to focus on churches. And it was six months into that, that I started Let My People Go as a panel discussion for pastors to learn about human trafficking. And it was there where I was like, this is what I'm called to do. And it was in those first six months that I really learned a lot about the issue and just realized that this was what I was called to do. And so God didn't give me the entire picture at that conference in Atlanta, but he gave me enough and gave me the space to kind of run around a bit till I got tired. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to sell everything, move to New York, really not knowing what I'm doing. But then I was equipped when I got there. That is so cool. Um, I read your book and I, I love your book so much. 
you talk about the vulnerabilities and people just being able to see the vulnerable. And I know that in my life, that's, that's what I felt most is that no one saw me. I was overlooked a lot. If I was homeless, people didn't pay attention to me. Um, if I was working, you know, I, I, people looked the other way. And so nobody sees you to even really offer you help. How were you able to get people to start to see us? You know, it's interesting. When you bring up vulnerability, you'll often hear people say, well, I'm vulnerable. And I'm like, yeah. Right. You are, but there are people in your community who are more exposed to attack or abuse than you are. You may have certain things going for you that other people in your community don't. And so for me, it's the first step is showing them because it's not hard to find, like with who I work with, I work with Christian faith communities. It's not hard to find Christians who are like human trafficking is bad. That's not hard, but it is hard to find people who see those most vulnerable in their communities as people who could be targeted for human trafficking. Because oftentimes we see the vulnerable, but we see them as victimizers rather than potential victims. We, we see them as people who are perpetrators oftentimes. And what I want to help people realize is that your presenting issue is not always your prevailing issue. In many cases, the person who is experiencing homelessness in your community could be trafficked. The person whose documentation may be a little dodgy or they may be working five jobs, but they're afraid to go to the store because they don't want people to notice that, you know, all these things. It's easy to see, well, that person's here to steal my job. I've heard people say that. I don't know if that's the right narrative, guys. I think that person at the end of the day is vulnerable as well. And when you realize that traffickers actually look for people who are living in a stigmatized arena, they look for people in the margins because they know that no one else is. And so my goal is to show people, yes, everyone in your community could be vulnerable, 100%. But there are people who are more vulnerable. And who is that person in your community? Because if you can recognize them and respond to them, then you're going to be caring for the people that traffickers are going to target. And so you're not just doing the work of prevention. You're doing prevention, intervention, and aftercare because you don't know where these people fall on the vulnerability spectrum. One of my, one of my good friends, she, she was trafficked to the United States and she got out, but she was homeless for months on end and couldn't really speak English And it wasn't until someone just kind of saw her regularly and was able to communicate enough to where he said, I have a friend in law enforcement, let me connect you. And it was federal law enforcement and they were able to get her help. And now she's, I mean, she's led at top level. She's, she was on Obama's um, survivor network for human trafficking. I mean, Mm -hmm. God has done so many amazing things, but it, it happened because there was one person who recognized that she wasn't just some random person experiencing homelessness, but that there was more of a story. And I think when we focus on vulnerability and we start lifting the labels that we put on people and start realizing that they have a story, that we need to hear it, then we're going to start noticing a lot more stuff happening in our community. I like what you said, um, specifically 
about being one person, because that is my story, that one person consistently saw me, consistently saw that I was not the behaviors that I was exhibiting, like you say, consistently saw something different in me and consistently said it to me until I was able to believe it myself. And that's what it takes. And it does take consistency because we are notorious for blocking you out, for pushing you away, for running away because we're not good at relationship. It's, we've not been taught properly. And so we're always protecting ourselves by shoving everybody else away from us that you have to almost chase us to help us in a lot of ways. And you said also about the behaviors that we exhibit that, um, you know, sometimes we look like the one who is doing the wrong rather than one that is being wronged. And that's true. Often that's part of that whole lifestyle where we also have to protect ourselves. We also, there is survival out there that we have to do things that ordinary people in, in normal, whatever that means, society would not do or would not even think of doing, but we have to because that is the way that we survive out there. And that is the ultimate game every day is just survive each day. That's what our whole goal is each day. I appreciate you showing that. One of the things that you touch on in your book that I really love is you talk about the church's response to us. And I specifically was turned away from the church at 19 and pregnant and not married and um, a drug addict. And the church very much looked at me and said, we don't think so. You need to go somewhere else. And that hurt me, I think, more than a lot of the acts that were committed upon me. That, um, that the church, because that was my whole life, is I grew up in the church, I believed in God, I believed in the church taking care of people. And when they turned me away, and it was a church that knew me personally, a church I had grown up in, and when they saw what I had become at that stage in my life, they said, no, thank you. And so that really hurt me to where I ran from the church as a whole for years of my life. Um, I never ran from God. Somehow I had that separated in my head that the church was people, but I distrusted church as a whole after that point. And I thought, well, I can read my own Bible and I can pray to God myself. And I don't need any of those people because of what they are. And it took me a long time to get over that hurt. In your book, you talk a lot about how the church needs to see us, how they need to be able to walk where we walk and go where we go and meet us where we are. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people, like I said earlier, that it's hard to find a Christian who's like pro-human trafficking, right? Like at mm -hmm. least in word. But at the end of the day, we and I'm not speaking for every church here, but I am speaking for humans. I think a lot of times you want to help out and you want to do this, but a lot of times you don't know how all encompassing it can be. And I think for a lot of people, they're looking for, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there on human trafficking that kind of, I've had, I had a church leader once come up to me and he's like, well, we want to save the girls. We want to save the girls. And I'm like, all right, let's talk about this. And really kind of talking through like this savior syndrome, this Messiah complex, talking through how there are all sorts of people who are trafficked, but it's often, 
it's easy to help people when they fit your paradigm and they look and act like you. But if they don't, or if they're a little different, or if life's a little messy, it's really hard to do that. And for me, one of the things I want to help Christians realize is we are all messy. We all have our own issues. And to be perfectly honest, the reason you're pushing that person away who's experienced trauma is because you have your own unresolved trauma that you refuse to deal with. And that person's issue is a mirror to your own. And it's showing you who you really are. And you don't want to deal with it. because It's a lot easier to sit in a pew and give an offering, listen to a sermon, listen to some music, then go home and go about your week. But God calls us to something more. He calls us to love a neighbor that's messy. If you look at the Gospels, just look at the ministry of Jesus itself. It's not like he's hanging out with people at a country club. He's consistently loving his most vulnerable neighbor. And it's those neighbors who people would say, well, here's the prostituted woman. Here's the... Yes, they were attracted to him because he was coming as a vulnerable person amongst other vulnerable people. Here's the king of the world, and he has no home to lay his head. He was functionally homeless, homeless, loving his vulnerable neighbor. And so for me, for the book, my main point throughout the entire book is that God motivates vulnerable people like you and I to love other vulnerable people by becoming vulnerable for us. So when we see this cruciform God, this Jesus who lived, died, and rose to make us right with the Father, when we see this, then we are motivated to love people who may look different to us, may act different to us, may smell different than us, may, I mean, fill in the blank, but we can see the humanity that Christ died for, and we can love as citizens of this Christian kingdom. Absolutely. And there's a line in the book that this is my favorite thing. You wrote... But Jesus, rather than crying out for justice, experienced justice. And I just love that, that, you know, that is the whole point that Jesus modeled for us how we are to love each other. He showed us you're supposed to put yourself in their shoes, literally get right there, do the stuff with them, do life with them and experience with them, because that's how you fully love a person is by being willing to be in that stuff with them. And he did it for us. Just like you said, he, he showed us exactly how to do it. And we as humans and not just in the church, but as humans have um, stepped away from that, it's easier to say, well, I'll write a check. And believe me, we need your money in the fight against human trafficking. But it's more than just that. We need people who are willing to even just know what human trafficking really is so that you're paying attention to the kids in your area and especially to the demand. I love that you started off with that, that you recognized your own, you know, humanness in creating the demand. If there was no demand, this would not be a thing. If people um, didn't teach humans that their bodies were commodities, if we didn't use the human body to sell everything in the world, things that you don't even need a person for, they stick a half naked person on an advertisement. If we didn't do all of those things, we wouldn't have this mindset that we can buy and sell people. Yeah, it's like shortly after we objectify someone, we can commodify them, right? Like it's it's hard for me to believe that 
we can exist without really recognizing that correlation or that connection. I mean, yeah. They're like, well, why is so much human trafficking happening? Well, we're part of it. You know, it's one thing to want freedom to happen, but when your own actions point to your, your own slavery, there's something that we have to process. There's something that we have to deal with. And I, I believe human trafficking is still just number two in terms of bringing in money um, across the board. So, and the reason for that is because you can sell a bag of drugs one time, it's used, it's gone forever. You can sell a human being over and over again. And so it, it's, it's quickly going to become number one, uh, the way for people to make illegal money. Yeah, and when you realize that traffickers are consistently targeting those most vulnerable, then you have what Kevin Bales said in one of his books years ago, that people are disposable. You have disposable people. They can consistently re-up their supply to meet the demand. That's exactly right. And, and that goes to how we have been told we are and how we feel about ourselves is that we are seen as disposable across the board. A lot of people, especially if we are um, in the homeless community, if we are, you know, places where people don't want us to be, if we are in jail, you know, they, they'd see us as just expendable. Even the system sees us as expendable, like, oh, well, she's just a whatever, or he's just a whatever, and this is going to be their life forever. And very few people see us and think, maybe I should see if I could help that person change the course of their life rather than deciding that their course of life has already been written. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the name of your organization is Let My People Go. Mm -hmm. I completely love that too, because that is how, um, you know, I have felt is that I felt like I was freed from all of that, from the slavery, from the control, from someone else telling me who I am to being able to listen to who God says I am. Um, is that what made you choose Let My People Go? You know, it's interesting. At, at the heart of every abolitionist movement, really throughout history, those four words have been like the battle cry or have been part of the battle cry. You know, it's always someone, whether it was a civil rights thing or whatever, people were always saying, let my people go. And for me, what I love about the story is you have this prophetic voice of Moses who he's scared to death to do this, but God tells him, he's like, let my people go that they may serve me on this mountain. And in that sentence, you have physical emancipation holding hands with spiritual emancipation. You have a holistic salvation in a sense. And it's so easy for a lot of us just to focus on the spiritual and not realize that God is calling us to love people holistically. And so that's one of the reasons I just love that passage is because God didn't just save them spiritually. He could have done that in Egypt. He could have been like, okay, I'm going to switch some things around. You can just stay enslaved and here's some Jesus. But he didn't do that. Rather, he drew them out, but they were still stuck. They were still, I mean, 400 years of trauma, they are still 
stuck. And when they, when things got hard, they wanted to go back because at least they had food in Egypt, you know, and, and God had to kind of lead them through really difficult times to show them some, I once heard a pastor say in the book of Exodus, you find that um, it took, I don't know how they say it, but it took more time. It didn't take as much time to get the people out of Egypt as it did to get Egypt out of them. And that's why I think ultimately we need, we need that tangible yet spiritual approach that says, yes, your needs matter, but you also have spiritual needs. And I think throughout um, modern Christianity, we've seen a focus on one or the other. And I think in the story of the Exodus narrative, like they're both there. And so that's one of the reasons I'm just really passionate about that picture. I, I like how you said that, that it didn't take as much time to get them out of Egypt as it did to get Egypt out of them. And that's true of trauma survivors, that you can get us out of the trauma situation. And that's not where it ends. You can't just get us out and then drop us. It takes a long time to get all of that trauma out of us. And if you look at somebody who has been in that life for, you know, one year, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, just think how much longer it's going to take to really digest all that and get it out. And oftentimes people think, well, we got you out of that life. You should just be happy now and so thankful and grateful that you're out of that life that everything is peachy and you just move forward. And it's just not like that. Um, it takes a lot of healing and a lot of hard work to get us there. And I, I do think with your book, you really help us. You, you honor us as survivors that you paint a very good picture of what the vulnerabilities are, um, how to recognize them in others, how to spot them in yourself um, and be willing to hear about your own vulnerabilities. And that's really beautiful because spreading awareness is how we eventually put an end to human trafficking is the more people that are understanding of what it is and how we contribute to it that that is how we put an end to it. And so with your organization now, with Let My People Go, what are you doing now to help bring that awareness out to the people? Well, throughout this pandemic, we really looked at what we'd been doing over the last several years and decided to shift it a touch. What we're doing now, and this is not something I came to easily, but we are basically offering our best product, which is our handbook. And we have videos that go along with it for free to any church who's willing to make use of it. And this basically walks you through, it's not the same as vulnerable, but the handbook is a very practical book that walks you through how to create a justice and mercy team, how to do a community needs assessment, how to think through a vulnerability response plan, how to think through how to identify, empower, protect, and include vulnerable people in your congregation, as well as collaborate with community stakeholders who are already working with vulnerable populations. And so 
that's really what we're focusing on now. And I'm also consulting and helping churches really do that and kind of dig into their community, because I really believe that if our eyes are focused on whether or not we have a highway that could transport those who are trafficked, we're looking for the wrong thing. Or if we're focused solely on sporting events, we're probably looking for the wrong thing. But if we focus on vulnerable people and we realize that human trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain or for someone else's gain or profit, then we realize whether it's for sex, labor, or domestic servitude, it's those in the margins who are targeted and abused and forced to do something that they would never choose on their own. And so really just giving churches the tools and then really just trusting God with that process and um, being a resource for churches who want to even go deeper. That is so awesome. How can churches get in touch with you in order to get that bundle? So the best way is to go through our website, which is LMPG, like let my people go, lmpg.org. And um, that's, yeah, that's where you'll find it. And you can send us an email on the website. The bundle is not up yet. It's going to be coming up in the next month or two, but you never know. Check the website. We're constant. We're at this point now where we're, we're spinning everything on the website to be resource focused. So there'll be Very tons cool. of free resources and then there'll be paid resources for churches who want to go deeper or Christians who want to go deeper. Very cool. Thank you so much, Raleigh. Thank you for spending time with us today. Um, thank you for this book. Uh, do you have another book coming out by chance? You know, it's funny. I've had a lot of people ask about that this week and um, yeah, I, I want to, I'm, I'm going to start writing, but at this point I, I don't really know which direction I want to go with the next book, but I think, I think there's, I have at least one more left in me. So very cool. Very cool. Oh, and I forgot to mention my friend is actually using your book as a textbook in a, a human trafficking class. Uh, she teaches at a college and she's using your book as a textbook in that class. And I think that is just the coolest thing ever too. It was but so interesting to, to hear some of her students' testimonies about how just focusing on vulnerability was shifting how they viewed themselves and how they viewed others. And I've heard that with people and people who are working in the anti-trafficking space all around the world. They're like, I've heard a friend of mine in Scotland was like, I was burning out and I read this book and I realized, wow, this person that I feel like sometimes is difficult or hard, like they're vulnerable, I'm vulnerable. And it kind of reshaped her view. And it's so easy for us as we're loving vulnerable people to get disenchanted, but just to remember that this is why Christ became vulnerable for us so that we could not only love him, but love our neighbor who's experiencing vulnerabilities as well. And that's why I titled the book Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking, because at the end of the day, I use that word quite a lot because I want people to realize this is real and People are not always as they present, and it's good to go deeper. And that's the only way that we'll see our communities change is if we start with a person in front of us. Absolutely. Raleigh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your book. Um, I look forward to the next one. And I think I'm going to check out one of those church bundles myself. All right on. Very cool. Thanks, Raleigh. We'll see you soon. See you soon.